captive. Every movement of our being and make it captive to Jesus Christ. Help us this morning, Lord. Bring our minds as we hear your words, as we believe in Jesus, and are set straight by you, Lord. And do us, Father, with power to move and find our being in Christ. And know that the words that we listen and hear to are from a living God. This we pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Um, one of the desires I've, I've had in my heart is maybe as a church for the next few Sundays or so to go through the Sermon on the Mount and, and hear what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, um, which begins in chapter 5. But there's, before we can you know, catch what Matthew brings us here in this moment where Jesus beholds the crowd, as you look at the first verse of chapter 5, it says, As seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. This is the ending of chapter 4, like Paul read, that what took place was spoken by the prophet so that it might be fulfilled. Matthew isn't just bringing us um, some thoughts about this great guy, Jesus, who had compassion on people and healed them all. He's, he's proving to us the fulfillment of Scripture. And he's pointing to us the truth and the reality of this man, Jesus Christ. And in, in, the, in the beginning, it shows us the, the coming of Christ, the virgin birth, how he was formed in the womb of Mary, and that's fulfilling promises made in the Old Testament. All of this is coming together. And it's not just coming together in an abstract way. It's a certain time, a set season. And when we enter into this part of the, the, the story, Jesus begins what we call his earthly ministry. All of a sudden now, he's actually calling people out. He's, he's going out and he's preaching. Verse 17 says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we know in the temptation, he's led by the Spirit to the desert. He's baptized in the River Jordan. But now he begins to act out that very calling that was placed upon his life, that anointing that he had. And it's an urgent call. John the Baptist was doing the same thing, preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at, is at hand. And the, the repentance that John the Baptist preached and the baptism that he preached actually led people to, to actually take a different move in their lives. If you turn quickly with me to Luke. So we got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the very beginning of Luke, when we hear the preaching of John the Baptist in chapter 3 of Luke, Everybody is there in chapter 3 of Luke. He's preaching. And verse 4 says, As is it written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain hill and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. 
and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I mean, this is what he, John the Baptist is showing. And prior to this, is, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's declaring this. People are coming to him for a forgiveness, a repentance. And later on, we go out, the people actually turn to him and say, what must we do? They actually understand that there, there was a doing. Once now that they made this profession, that they knew that the Messiah was coming, they, they needed to repent. There was something they need to do. They need to, for the remission of their sins, they needed to put sin away from their lives. And we see soldiers asking John the Baptist what to do. He says, look, stop extortioning people. Stop stealing. Stop lying. Stop doing these things. So there was an actual doing that you had to participate in. But now Jesus comes, the Lamb of God. This isn't one pointing to the truth. This is the truth himself in the flesh. This isn't the one saying there is a way for forgiveness. There is a way to repent. This is the very one who brings us this repentance. Right? We, we saw in the book of Acts that it was given to the Gentiles also by God to repent and to turn from their works. Well, think of it. Jesus, this is the very beginning of what he's doing upon the face of the earth, and there's an urgency to it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's an urgency to repent. There's an urgency to turn. We know that God is doing this work in us. And we can't leave it aside. We can't leave it for tomorrow. This isn't something that we say, ah, I'm okay for today. There, there is a repentance that is needed in the here and now. There is a searching that we have to constantly have to realize that we need to repent. It's much easier. I mean, I can list everything that is done wrong to me. But what is the wrong that I do? What is the sin that I commit? Unto God. How have I sinned? How have I, I, you know, one of the sisters mentioned, thrown my fists up at God. You know, we don't, we don't think of ourselves this way. But this is what Jesus opened. And as he's doing this, he's going around and he's calling out his disciples. And when he begins to call out his disciples, the first one that he runs into is the two brothers, Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And if you look at it, they were casting a net and sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, verse 19, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So this, this call is completely dependent and resting in the person of Jesus Christ. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. This is what I will do in you. This isn't your life experience. This isn't your worldly wisdom. This isn't the ability that you have. This is not because you were casting a net out, you're caught working. See, the Lord, I've heard people say, the Lord looks for those that are not idle, right? He's looking for those that are working hard. I don't know about you, but I was very idle in the world when I was far from God. When I, I, was, I was busy doing the things that amount to nothing. I was busy doing those things that had no place in eternity. I was busy in doing those things that would not bring glory to the name of God. And Christ now, here, he's calling these men out. And he's pointing them in the very end. They're, they're yet to fully understand this. We know the walk of the disciples. You know, as, as greatly as they're called, 
greatly they fall. I mean, here Matthew shows us Peter this being the first one called out with Simon Peter. We know Peter's the one that denies him three times. We know how God has to break Peter down for him to be made one of his own. And here, he's resting this, I will make this in you. I will do this in you. We have a tendency to think that we got something to bring to the table. Right? Oh, I know such and such a person. If only they were Christians. Oh, look, this man is great. Look at his ability to do this. Or this person is great. Look how, how charismatic they are. Wherever they walk in, they just drop you. If only they would come to Christ. Well, if only they would come to Christ with those gifts, they would think that they were doing something that deserved honor. They think that they were doing something to participate of the very salvation of God. This is when we begin to put names on plaques and, and do all these kinds of things because we really want to be good people so we can get that pat on the back and say, great job. That's not what God does. He calls you out so that you may be made whole in Him, in that faith that is rooted and established in Christ. And now, you begin to, to be molded, made anew in the image and likeness of His Son. But notice that there is an immediacy. That's why I spoke of this urgency. As, it, as Christ lays an urgency upon us to repent, we know that God has chosen. We know that God knows all things. He knows whom are His, those that are His and those are not. But that's for God to know. That's not mine to judge. He's given to us to repent and there's an urgency to it. And there's an immediacy when you know that Jesus is calling you. I'm not talking about a pastor calling you out or a leadership calling you out, somebody trying to put a burden on you, say, oh, this is what I see that God's got. That's not, no, we see here Jesus himself in the flesh calling out his disciples. We still have Jesus. He's alive. And this is the thing that we have to, to kind of, we're reading this. We know in the end he'll be put to death. He'll be crucified. And we know he's risen. The disciples had yet to find all this out. This is in the beginning of it all. But as they were hearing Jesus then, we must hear Jesus now. He is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's interceding for his saints. Look at how much we have now. We know that he's coming. Right? Men of Galilee, why do you stand up here around looking up? This same Jesus whom you have seen taken up, he's coming. Get to it. So as it is given to us to repent, it is given to us to have an immediate action when we are called of God, called in Christ. And we hear him living in the right preaching of the word, in the sacraments of the church in the lives of one another. We actually hear Him alive, here and now, with us. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a make-believe. This isn't something that a, a group of people get together to say to one another, to motivate each other so we can go out and fight another day. God forbid. Motivational speaking can do that much better. Right? They got lights. They got all kinds of stuff. They make people get up and shake. They do all kinds of stuff. And guess what? It amounts to a lot that will fade away with time and be forgotten. 
But here we have Christ in the flesh taking those words that belong to eternity, hidden in God, taking flesh and giving it unto us. And here we are today, hearing Him, listening to Him, abiding from Him, looking unto Him. There's an immediacy. All these men knew that immediacy, and we know that immediacy today. We know it. If you haven't come face to face with that immediacy yet, I'm sure your day will come. And if you have, move. There's a movement in our part. There's a doing. There's a work. There's a steady consistency to hear the Lord. Because that's what we see. This immediacy let, grabbed all these different men from different, right? I mean, they were all different. I mean, Levi, Matthew, the tax collector, hated the fishermen. Judas, whom God chose. And then that dark riddle became his betrayer. All these men were gathered around one common thing. Walking with Jesus, looking to Him, listening to Him, hearing Him out. But it wasn't just these men. We see it. I mean, Matthew here lays forth, very in an ab, this is the, right, the beginning of the gospel, in beginning of verse 23, it says, He went out throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread out throughout all Syria. And we know after 2,000 years, throughout the whole world. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons. These are very real things. Sickness, diseases are real. Demonic entities are real. Those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Paul, Matthew gives an abstract. I mean, he's going to give the details later on. But he's laying hold. This is what he's doing. And he's drawing crowds. So it's not just the disciples. It's crowds. People are following. Wherever he goes, there's a gathering. And this is the moment that we see that he sees the crowds. He went up on the mountain and when he sat down his disciples came to him. The Jews were very familiar with the mountain. To them this isn't a um, you know, they, they knew the law, they read it. This wasn't just, ah, he found a really good spot to speak. You know, this, in the Sermon on the Mount, we get a lot of things laid out for the Christian. And this is something that's happening, if you look at it, after Jesus is calling his own, after Jesus is calling out his disciples. Well, the Jewish people knew something very similar to this. When God came upon the mountain of Sinai, and darkness was upon that mountain. It was a fearful thing. It wasn't, you know, and the people were so afraid. says, Moses, you go and you talk to God. And you talk to us. But this is, the, the beautiful thing about seeing that is that the people didn't do anything. The people of Israel didn't do anything to deserve being taken out of the land of Egypt. 
It was purely by grace. God came. He said the time came for him to redeem his people out of Egypt. And he did it. He said he would. And he did it. And he carried them out. And the law that is given on Mount Sinai was not given to them prior to that liberation. They weren't told to keep the law so that they would be set free. They were beset, they were set free so that they can hear the law. And, and that's something that we Christians need to wake up each other to constantly. We think we, 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 we earn our place, we are found to be Christians because of all the obedience we do. No, no, we are called out, out of the mire. We are called out, out of the world. We are called out, out of the crowds. We are made new creatures. We're made the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And now we're given that Spirit to live this righteousness of Christ out. And this was given in shadow what was being done to the people of Israel. They were given the law once they had been set free. Once they were taken out so that they can go and worship God. And we know the history. They failed miserably. I mean, not, Moses wasn't even gone that long when he was up in the mountain. Then suddenly, they're turning around to Aaron, the priest, and saying, Make us a god. Make us an idol. And he took the gold. He mailed them the, cow, the golden calf. I mean, they had barely, and now they said, This is the God that has set us free. Look at how fickle we are. We are we're quick to lay hold of the promises of God. And we're just as quick as to forget the God who made the promises once we begin to delight on that which He has given us. We're, just as, we're quick to see the, the glory of a beautiful day. And that's what we get. We get the beautiful day and we forget the God that guarantees us the breath to rise up and move. And, sometimes, and, and we, we Christians, we don't just talk about the beautiful days. We have the days of agony, the dark days. And in those days, we glory. In those days, we are thankful, not purely for the pain and, and for the suffering. I, I, I don't want to say that in the sense, oh, Lord, thank you for this misery. No, God forbid. But we know that our Lord suffered. We know that He endured pain. And we know that in time it's given to us to have these ups and downs. Sometimes the downs last a lot longer than the ups. And sometimes the downs are so down that you forget that there is an up. But yet, in those moments, we know that God is faithful. Not because of what we have done but because of Christ Jesus who hung on that cross and on the third day rose. So they, the, the Jewish people knew very well what, what this mount was, what going up to the mountain. And they knew what had occurred, that they were given those Ten Commandments. They were, and we, we don't, we're not going to have time, but in Exodus, if you go and you read tonight, today, when you go home, read Exodus 19 and 20, you will see right there the giving of the Ten Commandments, the going up in the, the mountain. This, this was a very sure happening and a very marking moment on the life of the people of Israel. 
So when here in this moment is not something for us to take light. Because Jesus, we're going to go through it and you're going to see him take the very tone of the one who wrote the Ten Commandments. He's going to tell them, you have heard it said, but now I tell you. Matthew is very, very clear to the Jewish mindset. This is no mere man. This is God in the flesh. This is the judge of all. And he will show himself to be that. But I think it's very important for us to see that in the very beginning. Because seeing the crowds, this is the one who truly mattered how he saw things. You know, if we look back to the Old Testament, we see Moses, the birth of Moses, right? Pharaoh decided to kill all the the Jewish boys. But Moses was set apart. Now, one thing that still bothers me with that whole account is the daughter of Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh had given a decree to kill all Jewish boys. Right? So I guess the daughter of Pharaoh, by law, is the only one that could go against his decree. Because she was the only one that got a hold of this child and she had compassion on this child. And I guess out of all the people of Egypt, the only, ones, the only one who mattered to have any compassion was that daughter of Pharaoh. And she, in a sense, pulled Moses out of the water. And it was through Moses that God brought that redemption, that, that, that liberation, that freedom. Now, we're constantly given over Her compassion passed, right? She died. (laughs) So her compassion was limited to that one moment, to that one action. But we're constantly given in the Gospels, Jesus being moved by compassion. Now here's the one whose compassion truly is solid because it doesn't seize. He says, I have the power to lay my life down and pick it back up again. So his compassion, and this is what I think it's beautiful for us to see, This is that compassion that is hidden in the Godhead, in the triune God. This is that compassion that says, let us make man in our image and likeness. We guarantee this. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit guarantee. And this compassion, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, this compassion isn't an abstract thinking, isn't something distant. Is God now made flesh, and He sees the crowd. And he looks at them. And the crowd sees him, sees his apostles, and the disciples are seeing him. I mean, everybody's participating in this action, but he is seeing. He goes up, he sets himself down, and his disciples come to him, and he opens his mouth and teaches them. And I I saw this closely last week when we touched upon Peter, that in the house of Cornelius, he opens his mouth and he speaks to them. And as he's speaking to them, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. And they cannot deny the fact that God now doesn't... It's a new creation. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer, you know, the elite intellectuals and the poor fishermen. 
There's no longer just the disciples and the crowds. There is a great distinction between the crowds and the disciples, but they are all being seen by the same Lord. And He sees them. My Uncle Scott is here, and I remember him because he, he picked up on this. I, I didn't have a father, and, and he knew that. And he, I remember you mentioned Christopher had this thing, too, when he played hockey. He was always looking behind to see if you were looking. I had that tendency. I was always looking because I wanted the eye of approval. I wanted somebody to say, look, you're doing good. Look, keep it up. Now, we all have that in us. But here's Jesus seeing the crowds. This is the one who can really satisfy that emptiness, that desire to be seen. can only be satisfied when you realize that Jesus has his eyes fixed upon you. When God has fixed his eyes upon you, not to be this tyrant, not to be a judge, but to be the one who draws you out, who calls you out. And he begins to open his mouth. Imagine what the people of Israel had that was written on stone by the finger of God, that was given to Moses to give unto the people, and then divided up because Moses couldn't judge all the people, so his father-in-law had the bright idea to separate a bunch of elders. And, and we think that's a rule of uh, leadership, and that, that might be, but we know that elders and scribes and that didn't eventually come out to be a very good thing because they actually didn't really help. So we don't know to that extent, was it truly divine for Moses to give hearing to Jethro, his father-in-law, or was that something that man created so that they could say, like they said later, yeah, Moses heard some things, but the elders, they heard other things from God. See, we don't, we're not given this. We have Christ. This isn't just something, this isn't just a man that's hearing of God. This is God in the flesh, God with us, speaking out to us and calling us out. And now he's opening his mouth. That which was hidden in eternity is made known to us in the very person of the Son, Jesus Christ. That's how glorious, I don't want to say serious, and how burdensome, and how, you know, and this is why Christians got to pay attention. So we, we need to break away. We need to redeem the language of the born-again Christian, right? It isn't, yes, there is a great weight to glory. I mean, God has deposited His glory upon us. There is a great weight to that. But it is glorious. In the Old Testament, the glory of Israel was that God called them out. Was that God was their God. That was their glory. So we need to see the glory of this moment that is given to us. That the Son of God has opened His mouth and has declared in creation as a participant of it. What we are called for. So I believe as a Christian... We have to always constantly be going back through and through and over and over on the Sermon on the Mount. And he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. 
Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to go back into this, but I want you to just, as we're getting started, to have our minds put together in the Sermon on the Mount. We're none of these things. If you, if you really think through, if we attempt to be any one of these things, we want to be recognized. Now, if you see Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, He was all of these things. And, and he took all of this in his flesh. And by his death on the cross, now we are brought forth into this very being, into this poor in spirit, into this mourning, into this meekness, into this hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and the amazing thing about what he affirms here, he begins by saying that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And on verse 10, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This, he just shocked the world of all the Jewish people. See, it was promised to them, the kingdom of God. Now he just promised it to the lowliest of the low. He says that the kingdom belongs to the meek, to those who hunger and thirst, to those that are persecuted. I thought that the kingdom is taken by force. This force that is taken is not the force that works well in the world. So the world is like that, right? You've got to grab a bull by its horn. You've got to get the early bird catches the worm. And there is a truth to that in this world. If you don't get up and go to work, nobody's going to do it for you. Yes, if you don't make your bed, God forbid, parents need to stop making their children's bed when they're, as soon as they, they know how to put a sock on, look kid, you make your bed. I don't care if it looks messy, you do it. But there, there is that element in us here and now, but Jesus just he's talking about poverty and spirit, mourning. He's talking about all those things that are less than. And he says to these people belong the kingdom of heaven. But this is all bound in him because look at how he ends it. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and are all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's binding the, the role of the disciples to the role of the prophets. Now the prophets suffered and were persecuted because they were given the word of God to deliver to the people. So they would, they would call the people out. You're wrong. You have sinned. You have done. Turn back. Turn back. And most of the time, there were times that the people turned back, but eventually they didn't turn back and they persecuted the prophets. By him showing this, 
that they're going to do this against you falsely on my account. He's making himself equal to God in the very hearing of the people. So I know that there's some cults out there, some people out there say, oh, Jesus never affirmed himself to be God. Well, you get up before a nation of people that knew who their God was, that called out the prophets, and now this man in the flesh is attributing all of this to himself. You go ask him what they were thinking. And the scribes and Pharisees knew very well what he was saying. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they would pick up stones to stone him. That's why they wanted to destroy this man. But they couldn't destroy him. Could they? He couldn't be undone, could he? But he is the undoer of the old man. And when this is being said, so I'm going to, I beg you to go home and, and read through the Sermon on the Mount and ready yourself so that we can hear what this means when Jesus opened his mouth and directs it towards us in the midst of the crowds. He is talking to his disciples, but the crowds are hearing this. This is in the midst of the hearing of the crowds. And they are before this man who is declaring to them who he is and now who they must be. This isn't a question of maybe or not. This is the very being of the one that begins to confess Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Because he goes on to say, verse 13, you are, these, you are, this isn't a maybe, this is the doing of God in our lives. You are the salt of the earth. Now remember the urgency of repentance? Remember the immediacy of our action? But if, Salt has lost its taste. It's a great warning. And this warning is given to us in the midst of the crowds. So the crowds know what we ought to be. That's why the, the world comes so hard when a Christian fails. Because the world knows our standards. They know it. So do we. But the difference between us and the world is the world doesn't know forgiveness. We do. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We pray the Lord's Prayer because we can come to God as our Father and find forgiveness. So we're not, this is a warning, this is a calling, this isn't a condemnation that is given to us. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. This is the very truth and the very uh, tension that we as followers of Christ need to have in our lives. He is the one that makes us salt. Let us hold on to him so we won't lose it. And he goes on to declare, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you, Lord, 
that we can hear the words of Jesus that he opened his mouth when he was upon the face of the earth and that he taught us then and he teaches us now. Oh Lord, help us to listen his voice together. We who have been called out to be salt and to be light, guide us, Lord. Guide us so that we can know this light and be seen by others and bring glory to you, Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, please, Lord, don't let us be led astray by our own understanding, by the inclinations of our emotions. Make us hold on with all the strength you have given us to hold on to the very words of your Son, Jesus Christ. As a church, we're going to read through the Sermon on the Mount. We will be taught by you. We will sing your praises and we will live out this life, We will learn to forgive one another. We will learn to to take the, the plank, the log that is in our own eye before we pick on the dust that is in our brother's eyes. Oh Lord, we will learn from you because you walk the face of the earth and you teach us all things. Lead us in this life Your kingdom come. Amen. I ask the church to please stand. Is there any other announcements?